0: See you this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn over to Matthew chapter nine in Matthew chapter nine. We are in a series called the ultimate fighting champion. The reason we titled it this way is because Matthew, we're going through the book of Matthew. And in this particular section, chapters eight and chapters nine, Matthew has demonstrated for us and he's writing to let his readers know that Jesus is not just a man, that Jesus is not just a great teacher that there's something supernatural about this Jesus. He's more than just a teacher. He's more than just a good person. He's more than just a good moral. Hey, that, that's a good person in history to know. He's more than that. And so Matthew lets us know that this Jesus has supernatural power. And so what he does is, is he says, I just want to demonstrate who Jesus is, that he's more than just a human. So Matthew puts Jesus kind of in an arena, if you will. and puts Jesus against several different things, things that you and I cannot actually, we could not overcome, that we're not stronger than, but he demonstrates that Jesus is more powerful than disease, sickness. Jesus even healed a person from a distance. He wasn't even near the person. He just said, be healed. And in another town, a person was healed. Jesus is stronger than demons. And we talked about the realities of demons. We talked about the reality of demon possession and that Jesus is stronger than and more powerful than and all he has to do is speak a word and demons flee. We talked about how Jesus is more powerful than a crippled, a lame person and how that his friends lowered him through a roof so that Jesus could heal him. And Jesus not only healed his physical body, but Jesus is stronger than sin as well. What an incredible thought. Today, here's what's gonna happen. Matthew is gonna put Jesus back into the arena and Jesus is going to face something that you and I have faced. It's called religion. Religion. Now, I don't know what your background is. I don't know what you're coming out of or what you're coming from. Some of you might not have a, uh, you, you might have that background of You've been to church all your life. You had that drug problem when you were a kid. Your parents drug you to church every time the doors were open, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, yeah? Some of you might be coming from a background where you're, you're kind of anti-church. You haven't been around church. You didn't grow up in the church. And so maybe you're just having kids. Maybe you're just getting into married life and you're saying, you know what? I need, I need to go to church. That sounds like something good to do. So you're coming back to church. Maybe some of you are saying, you know what? I can't stand church. I don't even know why I'm here today, but I'm here because I was invited. I'm here because my wife drugged me. I'm here because, and you're here. Some of you might even have backgrounds in which you've been at church, and it was pretty good and you were pretty involved. And then you got into those committees and you got into business meetings And when you got into those business meetings, you began to see Christians acting like non-Christians, beginning to scream and yell and be ugly towards each other. And you said, you know what? If that's church, I don't want anything to do with it. And so you've been out of church for a long time. Some of you are coming out of situations in which church for you was nothing but rules after rules after rules after rules. And so you just got fed up. You're saying, I'm tired of that. Here's what I wanna make sure we're clear today. I'm not gonna bash the church, here's why. Because Jesus said, I love the church and I even died for the church. So we're not gonna bash the church today like some like to do and get on a bandwagon. But what we are going to do is we're gonna give the main point right here, right now, so you know it up front. Our goal and our purpose is not to follow religion. Our goal and our purpose is to follow Jesus. Now that was your chance to hoot and holler and get excited. You missed it completely. Let me try this again, all right? Our purpose, our goal, our mission is not to follow religion. Our goal, our mission, our purpose is to follow Jesus. All right, there you go, absolutely. That's what we're about. That's what we're going after. Now, I know that you might even be coming from a different denomination. You might be saying, wait a minute, are you gonna be preaching about being a Baptist? No. Are you gonna be preaching about being... A Southern Baptist, no. Wait a minute, are you gonna be preaching about being an assembly of God? No. What we're gonna be talking about today is one thing and one thing only, following Jesus. That's what we're about and that's what we're going to be about and that's what Jesus is going to show us today. Are you ready? Matthew chapter nine, if you have your Bibles, would you please stand for the reading of God's word? I'm gonna ask that you go down to verse nine and we're gonna start there. And here's what the Bible says. Matthew records for us and he says, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew. He's talking about himself. Sitting at the tax booth and he said to him, follow me. And he arose and followed him. Now today we're gonna continue. We're gonna go all the way down through verse 17, but I wanna stop because I wanna make the point here. Did you see what Jesus said? Follow me. That's our goal and that's our purpose. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this time. God, I pray that as we sang the songs earlier, that God, it was a sweet, sweet aroma to you. I pray that it was a blessing to you. And now, Father, I'm asking that you would get rid of distractions. I pray that you would open our ears so we could hear Open our eyes so that we would see Jesus. I pray today that your spirit would have freedom to move in and amongst us. So that, Father, when we walk out of this place, we'll clearly know that we've heard from you. And God, I pray that you'd give us the courage to put into action what we've heard so that we would be a different people when we walk out of here. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So here we are, we're starting and Matthew begins to write and He says, and Jesus passed on from here and he saw a man called Matthew. Now, Matthew is the one who's been writing the book. Matthew's the one who has given us the last two chapters, chapter eight, in which he began to give us all kinds of miracles. And in chapter nine, he gives us even more miracles. And now Matthew almost gives us a parenthesis, if you will, a bracket, and he begins to talk about himself personally. And he says, it was a man setting, and uh, taking care of the taxes. And Jesus walks by and says, follow. And he gives his own personal testimony. Now, for me, this caused me a little bit of a problem because Matthew was in a, a, a great dialogue, if you will. He was in a great picture of who Jesus is. Jesus is so powerful. Look out how powerful he is. Miracle after miracle after miracle. And he's even gonna pick up a few more miracles in just a minute. But Matthew stops and says, this is my testimony. This is how I came to follow Jesus. It caused me a little bit of a problem. Why would Matthew stop? It's almost as if he's taking away from all the miracles, isn't it? But then you follow along. Now watch what happens. He continues. And Jesus reclined at a table in the house. So he went to a house and he started to eat and many other tax collectors. So this must be Matthew's friends, right? Matthew's friends have come together and, and, and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and what? Sinners. Okay, let's stop here and let me help you understand what's going on. If you were a non-Jew, someone who is a Gentile, somebody from any other nationality, you would be considered by the Jewish religious people as a sinner. Outside of God's grace, outside of God's blessing, outside of God being able to do anything in your life, you were a sinner. And if you were a tax collector, a Jew, a Jew who is now working for sinners, the Romans, you were a reprobate. You were going to hell. There was no chance that you could ever be saved because now you are not only outside of God's blessing, you are outside of God's grace and you could never be saved because you're so far gone. Are you following this? So here's what Matthew's doing. In the midst of chapters eight and chapters nine of miracle after miracle, Matthew is overwhelmed by God's amazing grace and the miracle that Jesus would stop, look at Matthew who is a sinner outside of God's grace and say, Matthew, I like you buddy, come on with me. And Matthew is blown away that Jesus would allow him to be included in God's grace. Do you remember a guy named John Newton? He wrote a song, called amazing what grace how sweet the sound that saved a what a wretch like me matthew is overwhelmed that god would show his grace to him a person who did not deserve it at all and let's be very clear There's not one person in this room who deserves God's grace. It doesn't matter if you grew up in church and it doesn't matter if you grew up outside of the church. It doesn't matter if you've been to church hundreds and hundreds of times or even if you've served on a committee or if you've served anywhere else, even if you're the head deacon, it does not matter even if you've been a preacher. We all need God's grace. Amen. Amen. What an incredible thought. And Matthew stops and pauses and says, wow, this is a miracle of miracles. This is just as big as God or Jesus healing a paralytic. This is just as big as the seas being calmed. This is just as big that Jesus would stop and save me. I love it. Cause he was outside of it completely outside of religion and religion would not even look at him. Now, You see what happens here. The Pharisees ask a question, right? See verse 11, it says, the Pharisees ask a question. Why does this teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now, they're not really asking a question, but they're making a point. Have you ever had somebody rudely make a point by asking a question? Why do you comb your hair like that? Why didn't you fix your hair? I've had that one asked. Fix my hair. This is the style, man. Come on. Why would you wear a flowered shirt? Do you see what? You're asking a question, but you're really not asking a question. You're trying to make your point. You following this? So here he is. The Pharisees are not asking a question of Jesus, they're not asking a question of the disciples. What they're trying to do is make a point that's saying if Jesus was really a good teacher, If Jesus was really religious, if Jesus was really who he says he is, a good person, a religious person, then Jesus would know that those guys are outside of God's grace. He would know that those guys should not have God's blessing. And he would also know that they're sinners and you should not ever be unclean by talking to sinners. You shouldn't be eating with them. You shouldn't be seen with them because they're sinners. They're making a point, aren't they? Now, here you go. Watch what Jesus does. Jesus does something incredible. He now says his mission. You're missing what Jesus is about. If you think Jesus was just coming to, to hang out and coming just to have fun. He says, here's my mission, boys. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Where do doctors need to hang out? Not with other doctors. Doctors shouldn't even really be hanging out with other with You know, golfers or lawyers, who should the doctors be hanging out with? Sick people. That's their job. That's their purpose. Their job is to make the sick well. And Jesus says, my job is this, is not to come to people who think that they've got it all together. My job is to come to people who are disconnected from God. And my job is to bring those people to God and connect them. That's my job. I'm hanging out with people who know that they need God. Because there was no doubt that the tax collectors and all the religious people have been telling this tax collector and all the other sinners, you guys are outside of God. They knew they needed God. There was not even a question in their mind. They knew they needed God. And so Jesus is saying, I'm hanging out with the people who know that they need God. Now, here's where it gets fun. Now, he gives them the statement this is what I'm about. And then Jesus says, go and learn what this means. Now, this is funny because they ask a really rude question. So Jesus is now gonna play hardball with them just a little bit. He says, you need to go learn something. Now, here's what makes it funny. Who's he talking to? Pharisees. Who are the Pharisees? The religious educated, right? Matter of fact, let me just help you understand. These guys were not just like professional baseball players. They're like all-stars, all-stars, Let me explain. They could quote the first five books of the Old Testament. That includes Numbers and Leviticus. Hello. (laughs) Yeah. Anybody want to give that a shot? Not a chance, right? So Jesus says to them, hey, you need to go learn something. That's funny. That's like a slap in your face. They're going, you could just almost feel the room tense up going, I have my doctorate in the law. Go learn something. What are you talking about, Jesus? Jesus says, here you go. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Now here's the banter and here's how they would play back and forth, the religious elite. You ready? They would give a quote from the Old Testament. And in giving a quote from the Old Testament, if you really knew the Old Testament well enough, you would know, okay, that came out of, Genesis chapter 16, verse 31. You would know that phrase, you would know the context, and then you would repeat, and then you would ask a new question from another chapter. That's how you would banter back and forth. So Jesus now says, okay, I'm gonna step up to the challenge and I'm gonna show you that I understand what's going on here. And he says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. See, the idea of the Old Testament was sacrifice, is that the sacrifice was an outward picture, an outward illustration of what was going on in your heart. You're saying, I need forgiveness. And so you come and you offer something that costs you monetarily. And you would offer this sacrifice as a picture and as a way to say, this cost me and Jesus, our God, this is my heart's cry that I want to be made right. I know that I'm wrong and I want to be made right with you. That's That's sacrifice. And then Jesus adds on. He says, I'm tired of you guys just doing the religious action. There should be a change. There should be mercy happening. You should be taking care of the widows, the poor, those who are surfing. You should be showing mercy to those who are outside of God's grace. Did you catch that? Mercy to those who are outside of God's blessing. That's who you should be. There should be a life change. Now, here's where it gets very interesting. This phrase comes out of the book of Hosea. Do you remember Hosea? He's a prophet. He's a prophet that God comes to and he says, okay, I want to make sure that the people of Israel know what's going on. And so Hosea, you are going to be a living illustration of my love to the nation of Israel. So Hosea, I want you to marry Gomer. Yes, you're right. Gomer is in the Bible, not Gomer Pile, Gomer. <laughs> Now, don't worry. She's not, one of these pic- She's not one of these ladies that we name our daughters after, okay? But ready? Here's what happens. He goes out and marries Gomer. And the command is not to just marry her, but the Bible tells us that God says to Hosea, the prophet, you are to love her. What? You can command your heart to love? Yeah. I thought it was a feeling. No. It's a command to love. Here's where it gets tough. You ready? Gomer was a prostitute. Wait, can we talk about that in church? Yeah, we can, because watch what happens. He brings Gomer in. They're married. They end up having two kids. So you're right. He has to look over the past, how that she was experienced, if you will, in love but not love that's unconditional. They have two kids. And after a period of time, Gomer becomes antsy and she leaves her husband. Not being a good wife, she leaves completely and says, I want love, but I want love found in the arms of others. She goes back into prostitution, leaving her kids forsaking the role of a mother and she leaves and she goes and as she goes out she begins to going from one town to the next town sleeping with the next person the next person and she goes on and on Hosea the prophet steps back and he just says God his, his heart is broken he's crushed he said why in the world would you ask me to marry somebody and then they run off and they leave me again God what's going on and he's frustrated and then there comes a point in time where Hosea says, okay, God, I'm going back. And he begins to go from town to town asking, where is my wife? Man after man would say, yes, I know her. She's not here anymore. Yes, I met her. Yes, I was with her. Yes. And he goes, from, can you imagine the heartache? That's overwhelming, isn't it? He goes from town to town to town looking for his wife. One day, he comes into the middle of the town. And in the middle of this town, it was very common that in the middle of town, there would be called an auction block. And there would be a box, and there would be people that would stand on the box. These people were not there because they wanted to. They were there because they were slaves. And he walks into town, and when he walks into town... His wife is standing on the block, completely naked, in front of the whole world, from the whole city. He sees her, and that's his wife. And the auctioneer begins to call out who'll give me $5, who'll give me 10, who gives me 12? He begins to call out. And this man sees his wife, and he begins to bid for what's rightfully his. Are you falling? He begins to bid, and finally when he wins, he wins the auction, and he buys his wife. She steps off the auction block, and he comes over, and he takes off his robe. And in taking off his robe, his clean, nice robe, he puts it around his wife and all of her filthiness and all of her grime. And he covers his wife and her nakedness, and he takes her back to his home. And God's point was Israel, I have loved you and loved you, and loved you. You've been unfaithful. You've been going after material things. You've been going after other gods. You've been going after that God. You've been going after your success. You've been going after your praise. You've been going after your fame. You've been going after everything else. But every time you go looking for love in other places and satisfaction in other places, God was saying, I'm here, and I love you unconditionally. Just come back, and Jesus is at this point. He's saying, here's the point. Here's the point, fellas. Here's the point. I am here because you have run after other things and you have put religion in the middle of it and you think that you're going after God, but you've missed God completely and now religion is more important to you than God. And I am here. And Jesus says, I am here. And in just a matter of a couple years, in a couple years, I will be on the cross and on the cross, here's what Jesus does. You ready? On the cross, Jesus takes the sins of the world and he pays your debt and mine you see we were the ones over here on the auction block bound slaves to sin and on the cross jesus takes and he pays for our sin debt right what we he we were rightfully his he created us he made us we were already his and Jesus pays for us on the cross. And now we're covered. And after that, here's what happens. Jesus comes and he says, I'll pay for you. I'll forgive your sins. And he takes us down off the auction block and says, I paid for it at the cross. You ask Jesus to forgive. He forgives. He takes off his robe of righteousness, right? Right? And then he covers us and all of our filthiness and all of our grime and all of our sin. And now when God looks at me, because I've trusted Jesus Christ on the cross, you know what God sees? Not Heath and my sin. He says, Jesus, roll of righteousness. And now I'm made right with God. What an incredible picture, right? That's a radical change because now I get to interact with God, not based on religion, but based on what Jesus Christ has done for me. Major change. Now follow this. You ready? Now Jesus continues on. So that's a good start. Okay. That's religion. Now it gets a little bit more pointed. Verse 14, then the disciples of John, the disciples of John, this is John the Baptist. These guys are sincere seekers. They're really wanting to know who Jesus is, they're really wanting to follow God, they're sincere. So the disciples of John come to him saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast? But your disciples do not fast. Okay, that's a fair question. Okay, Jesus, if if we're really trying to follow God, we really love God, we're really passionate about God, we're fasting. We're doing the fast that we're supposed to. But Jesus, if you're really religious, this is a sincere question. It doesn't seem like you're passionate about God as, as much as we are. You don't fast, your disciples don't fast. What's going on? And so Jesus says this. Can the wedding guest mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and they will fast. What is the point of a fast? Just make sure we all understand. The point of a fast is not for you to lose weight. The point of a fast is not for a religious action, okay? Not to show everybody how good you are. Man, I fasted for the last week. And whew, man, and trying to get everybody to think, ooh, how spiritual they are. Fasting is not for that, you ready? Fasting is to do one thing, to draw you closer to God. That's it. And so Jesus says, wait, the point of a fast, you ready? You ready? I'm the bridegroom, I'm right in the midst. Why do they need to fast as long as I'm here? But when I'm gone, they will fast. Let me give you another point of what's going on here. In the Old Testament, how many fasts were declared for the year? Do you remember? Yom Kippur was the only one, the day of atonement. There was only one fast for the entire year. By this point, centuries have come and gone. Rabbi after rabbi have come up and they begin to teach and they keep adding to new rabbinic teachings. Now here's what happens. For Jewish religious people who were good religious Jews, the Pharisees, they would now require to fast two times a week. Do you see the difference? Two times a week, going from once a year to now two times a year or two times a week. That's a major change. And so Jesus says, wait a minute, What you have done is you've exchanged tradition and religious action for really falling after me. So here's what happens. Jesus now says, okay, I wanna help you. I'm gonna give you two illustrations. No one puts an unshrunk cloth of an old garment on the new garment for the patch tears away from the garment and a worse tear is made. How many of you have ever worn jeans that your mom has patched holes in, Yeah. All right, now we buy jeans with holes, right? So I mean, that's kind of that's a new, it's a new thing. But if you remember, I remember coming home and at one after you tore your jeans, then your mom would have you'd have this major conversation. How dare you? This is why we can't have new, you know, nice things. You'd have that conversation, right? You have that conversation. We. And then, and then after that, then you get in trouble. So then the the new patch would come out. And then the patch would come out, they would iron it and, and whatever. Well, then you could always see the patch underneath. You remember the square? Oh yeah, you'd always see that patch. And it would just kind of go back and forth. Now, what's going on here is this. If you would take a piece of garment, a robe that's already been washed, it's already shrunk. You take a new piece of cloth and you put it on that old well, when it shrinks at the next washing, it would tear away and make the hole bigger. So Jesus says, you can't take the old and put something new on it. It won't work. Then he talks about wineskins. He says, you can't take old wineskins and put new wine in. What they would do is they would take a wineskin was usually made out of sheep skin or goat skin. It was a, as a leather type material. And what they would do is in the new leather, they would pour the wine in. And when they would pour the wine in, as it turned and as it fermented, there would be gas bubbles and it would expand. And new leather allows for pliability and allows for you to have expansion and it wouldn't bust. But if you put new wine into an old wineskin, the leather had already become hard, already had become cracked. Cracked. And so as the wine would turn, what you would in turn have, you would have an explosion. The bag would burst because it could not expand with the wine. Now, this is considered one of the hard teachings of Jesus. Here's why. It's hard to figure out what Jesus is talking about. Why does he have to bring these illustrations in? What does this matter? How does this play out? Here's what we need to do. You cannot interpret scripture by bringing your own thoughts to the table first. The only way you can interpret scripture is if you have other scripture that help you understand scripture. Does it make sense? So what you wanna do, there have been many people who would say, this is talking about the Old Testament, this is talking about the law, and Jesus is getting rid of the law, Jesus is getting rid of the Old Testament so that he can bring in the new, new covenant. And even many today in our circles and in our time, many people will say we don't need the Old Testament we really don't need to even study the Old Testament. We really don't need to even study the the law because that's for the Old Testament. That's not for today. So it plays out very strongly for us. How do we take this passage? So here's what we do. One, we need to see if we can find the same author, Matthew, since that's the book. And we need to see if Matthew has anything recorded that would help us. And then if you can take and find the same speaker, Jesus is speaking here. So if Jesus would actually say something about the Old Testament, then we could know if that was... Good interpretation or not. You ready? So let me help you. Matthew 5, Matthew chapter 5. Flip over to Matthew chapter 5. Let me show you this because I think this is extremely important. Matthew chapter 5, go down to verse 17. So here's what we have we have the same author, same book, book of Matthew, and now we have the same speaker. Jesus is speaking, and Jesus is saying this in verse 17 Do not think that I come to abolish the law or the prophets. For I have not come to abolish the law, but to what? Fulfill or accomplish them. So can Matthew chapter nine be talking about getting rid of the law or the old Testament? No. Matter of fact, let me just help you expand it just a little bit. Paul in the New Testament says this, that the Old Testament law, that the Old Testament was our schoolmaster or our teacher, our elementary school teacher to bring us to the point to show us we cannot ever live up to God's standard. We can't measure up on our own. We can't do it. But instead what it does is it brings us to a point where we become bankrupt and we see our need for a savior and our need for grace. That's what the, the law does. So now you have not only the same book same author, same speaker. You also have another source in Paul saying it can't be the law. So here's what it is. You ready? Jesus is saying what you need to get rid of is this. You cannot keep your tradition and your religious actions and follow God. You have to get rid of the old teachings that are just teaching upon teaching, tradition upon tradition in order to follow Jesus fully. And here's what it does is it causes us to now have to ask the question, what do we need to get rid of? I'm gonna give you three things and we'll be done. If you have paper, you might wanna write these down so you can go back over them. These are action steps for you to think through and for you to walk through. Number one, ready? Number one for us after we looked at this text today is this. The call to follow Jesus should be memorable. What do you mean by that? There has to be a point in time in which you understand and you remember saying, Jesus, I choose to follow after you. I want to leave my old life and now I want to follow you. You see, when we talk about salvation, we talk about Jesus being our savior, right? He forgave our sins. And then we also talk about him being our Lord. Do you remember that part? Lord means this, just like Matthew. I willingly obey and follow whatever Jesus says. Some in this room, some in this area, tend to follow and say, I follow Jesus because I said a magic prayer. Just because you said a prayer does not mean that you have actually truly turned and followed Jesus. Are you following this? If there has not been life change and you've become a new creature, then your magic little prayer did not work because the heart attitude has to be, Jesus, I need a savior, I'm sorry, and I willingly turn from my past and I will follow after you. And if you have not done that, then my friend, you are not truly saved. And there should be a memorable point There should be a point in time in which you know that you've radically turned to follow Jesus. C.S. Lewis, one of the great Christian authors, there was a point in time as he was teaching and as he was wrestling with, should I follow Jesus, should I not? Is this true, is this not? And he was wrestling with it for months after months. There's a point in time in which his friend gets on the motorcycle and he gets inside this little cart that rides alongside of the motorcycle. It's kind of cute. It's kind of fun to think about C.S. Lewis riding with the little buggy, the little goggles. But he says, before I got in, I was an unbeliever. He gets in. And at the end of the trip, he says, I know. That's when I, I was a believer. My friend, if you don't know a time in which you said, I'm now following Jesus and he's the Lord of my life, meaning I give up my dreams, I give up my passions and I willingly turn and follow him. Then today, that's what you need to do. For some of us, what we need is because we haven't thought about our salvation in a long time. We need to come back to this. And we need that kid-like, child-like faith where we just come back and just kind of get giddy by the fact that Jesus actually saved us. Hello, he saved me. A boy from Dumas, Texas. That's just weird. Why would, out of the whole world, why would he look into Dumas? That's amazing. Why would he look at you? Why would, and we need to come like John Newton, just say, I'm amazed at his grace. Yeah, we need that. Number two, plain religion deceives even the best people. Now, here's where I want to drive a point for just a moment. We live in the belt buckle of the Bible Belt. We live in Dallas, Fort Worth, Texas. You talk to somebody about, are you a Christian? What will they typically say? Yeah. But yet they have not lived for God in any way. Do you go to church? Yeah, I go. And what we have done is we have turned church into a country club where we just meet people and we just go to one meeting after another meeting and yet we're never about the mission of Jesus Christ. Can I just say something very pointedly? We in this area are more in danger of being like the Pharisees than any other place in the world. And we look down on the Pharisees and we become judgmental just as if they were just like the way they're judgmental in the scriptures. And we become judgmental so quick and so fast. And yet we never stop to look because the best people, listen, let me shoot you straight. I grew up, this was my life. Religion, 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 rules, rules. And I pushed and I pushed and I tried to please God. I tried to please my parents. I tried to please everybody by excelling to the point of saying, I'm the best at religion that nobody else could compare. My brother is here today. He knows this fact. By the second grade, third grade, we had memorized over 500 verses. We were pushed and we went after religion as hard as we could. But let me just be very frank and very clear. We are in danger of doing this. And I want you to know that even the best people sitting in this room can go after and be more like the Pharisees than ever before. And what it's gonna take is this. A heart, deep, soul, searching to ask, where have I exchanged religion for Jesus? And you have to answer that. And then you have to be willing to get rid of the rules of religion and just doing rules and just doing religion just for religion's sake and actually say, I'm following Jesus as hard and as passionately as I can. Very last thing is this, the mission of Jesus, it must remain our priority. The mission of Jesus, what is that? To bring the sick to the physician. (laughs) To bring those who are sinners, those who are outside of God's blessing to the one who can actually connect them to God, Jesus Christ, bringing people to Jesus. That's our mission over and over and over again. Let me be clear. For this church to ever do what this church has been called to do, we have to quit thinking about the next meeting and we have to start beginning to think about how can we reach this community for Christ? And it starts with each one of us. It starts with your neighbor. How can you get your neighbor to Jesus? How can you get your colleague to Jesus? It starts there. And it moves because your friends, your colleagues, your schoolmates, they need Jesus. They don't need religion. They need Jesus. And it begins to say, what are we going to do about it? As a church, yeah, we're going to start a Saturday night service. Why? It's not because I don't like college football. (laughs) We're not doing it because I just need another night away from my family. You know why we're doing it? We're going to give it a shot. Because there have been several who have asked, hey, I work on Sunday mornings, I can't ever get to church. If we had a Saturday night, I could get there. People who have their kids in sports, there are a lot of sports games Saturday morning and Sunday mornings anymore. But yet they still need to be in church. We're gonna give it a shot. You're right, it's gonna be inconvenient. You're right, it's gonna be out of the box. You're right, it's gonna be tough on some of us because it's going to add to our schedules. But you know why we do it? We're willing to be uncomfortable for the sake of reaching someone. Is that fair? What if it doesn't work? So what? We tried, we'll do something different. But we should never allow fear to stop us from doing something to reach somebody. And we should never become more consumed about being a, a country club than us being on mission to live for Jesus. Because let me be honest, I'm not giving my life to be in a country club. I could care less about a country club. But if you want to get on board with actually reaching people for the cause of Christ, I'm in, both feet, I'm diving in. I'm there. Let's do something. Let's do something for the cause because there's a great mission. And he's called us to and he's invited us to. And I'm amazed that my Jesus loves me enough to invite me into this. What an incredible gift.